Hey, this is Daphne Allen, editor of MDDI, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech. If you are a regular reader of MDDI, you've most likely seen our coverage of the amazing MedTech response to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been truly incredible to see innovations from the medical device industry, as well as from other markets, and inspiring to see how professionals with different backgrounds have come together for the common good. Today, I'm talking with such a group of people, the team behind MasksOn.org. Their story is the incredible effort to transform a full-face snorkel mask into a face shield for clinicians who don't have access to typical PPE. But it is also a story on how to innovate quickly, how to navigate complex regulations, how to raise funding, and how to develop a longer-term business strategy. I believe anyone trying to bring a new medtech idea to market can benefit from hearing their story. So I'm speaking with Sanjay Vakil, Executive Director for MasksOn.org, Devin Campbell, Founder of Product LLC, John Spear, Founder and Vice President of QARA for Greenlight Guru, and Ken Block, President of Ken Block Consulting. Sanjay explains how he first got involved, then Devin, Ken, and John. This is Sanjay. I'll talk about what got us all together. Uh, I think I'm the earliest member from this small group, and the early days of Masks On were a little bit chaotic. They started when a pair of anesthesiologists at the Brigham, Drs. Boehm and Stone, were inspired by a snorkeling mask from a beach vacation, and I think they duct-taped a circuit filter to it. Uh, pretty soon, Dr. Stone sent an email to his buddy at Google saying, hey, could we try and build something like this, but uh, probably with less, less duct tape? That gentleman was a product manager named Eugene Mann, and he sent email out to an internal mailing list. And I'll be honest, that was a little bit like catnip within the sort of engineering culture that Google has. Literally hundreds of people suddenly swarmed in to offer their 3D printers, their expertise, whatever else they had. I was one of those people who jumped in and tried to figure out how to help, and I got swept into it. I'll let other people talk about how they got involved next. Yeah, so this is Devin Campbell. I think I was next in the uh, in the order of things. Um, I got pulled in. the The team was running pretty fast and furious. And one of the amazing things about this group is that you know it's not. It's not a team, you know, flush with medical device engineers and experienced medical device executives. Um, it was a, an organization of people rising to the occasion, and they were from all sorts of different dis, uh, industries, from Google, um, from you know, CAD and drafting industry, from design teams. I mean, just all over the place, people were just helping um, and doing what they can kind of toward the front of the whole pandemic uh, when a lot of people were really in this fevered state of, you know, what can we do to really help and to help, uh, you know, make a difference here. And the team did amazing work. I'm sure to, uh, over the course of this conversation, um, we'll start to dig into some of that. But eventually they got to the point where they started to dawn on them. There's a bit of a daunting task in front of you, that if you, if you want to be able to distribute a product like this, you at some point need to start bringing in people that understand medical device development, uh, medical device regulations, quality systems, and things like that. Uh, so 
one of the members on the board uh, called me one evening um, out of the blue and we have a mutual contact uh, and I answered the phone, which I usually never do if I don't under, if I don't know the caller ID. Um, and it was John Hirschtick. And he started uh, talking about this great project that he's on and that he's involved with and and what they're doing and that they had kind of come to the realization that they needed some additional support um, in an experienced way from the medical device side of things. Um, and our contacts, our, our networks kind of collided and he asked if I would get involved. Um, and I did, and I don't think it took very long, Sanjay, um, before, between when I first got involved to the time when you all invited me onto the board. Yeah, um, I, think, I think it was, it was more than days, but less than weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty quick. Um, and I just think because there was a really, uh, you know, an eager and, and earnest need here. Um, to be able to continue doing what the team had been doing, which was to, you know, not just to slap something together, but to really do it the right way. And they'd been doing very good engineering and very good testing up to a point. And then they kind of got to the to that realization pivot where, like, we, we need to bring some additional help in. Um, so they called me and, and I got involved. Um, I should say, which is a good lead in then next to Ken, because I think Ken was the next guy we got involved. Um, my company uh, product had been doing pro bono work for anyone uh, involved in COVID-19 stuff as soon as the pandemic started. Any emerging entrepreneurs or early companies that were working on something like that, uh, we would deploy resources to help them uh, do what they were doing for free. And I did get a lot of cold calls and a lot of outreach. And I would look at a lot of these groups and they're doing, you know, their heart's in the right place, but they're not necessarily you know, really doing it thoroughly. And that's what really attracted me to Masks On, is that the testing was solid, it was well thought through, it was meticulous, it was documented, uh, not necessarily in a quality system yet, but it was documented. Um, the design and the engineering was good. So it really attracted me um, as, as a product that we need to support. I wanted to bring in some uh, good regulatory support. And on other projects I had been working on, including a ventilator project before Masks On, I had the unique opportunity to come to know Ken Block Consulting uh, and, and Ken personally, who helped out on that project as well, as, as did John Spear a little bit. Um, uh, for that project. So I reached out to Ken and asked if he'd be interested. And uh, Ken, maybe you could pick up from there and, and like what that call was like and what kind of drew, drew, drew you to the project. Right. Um, thanks. Yeah, great, great in, intro. Um, you should be on the radio, you know, doing that segue here. Um, but <laughs> I get back at, I get my emails and I have an email from one of my employees on April 7th. Hey, we have a meeting set up with someone about a ventilator and you know, FYI, they're also working on some kind of masks project. Um, and so, yeah, we started getting involved with Devin on the, on the ventilator. And then it, it, April 24th, I get an email from, from Devin that actually explains like, Hey, uh, still help interested in helping out more because my company also was doing pro bono work for people. So the same sort of thing, you get a call, you know, you try to figure out what's going on. Hey, you know, Devin laid it all out. Here's what we're doing. 
uh, we're following this FDA enforcement policy, you know, for masks and respirators. Do you think you'd like to get involved? We're, we're thinking of pivoting in this different direction. And my response was, sure, you betcha. And uh, so I kind of did an initial review of things and it encouraged the group to pivot to the from the uh, basically to the EUA for for face shields um, to kind of to kind of uh, looking at the design. It appeared to me less of a if you take away the filter, less of a less of a face mask and more of a face shield. I mean, it is totally covering the front, preventing those splashes and that sort of thing with something else added on. So it was this unique thing. And uh, so anyway, it, I got involved uh, from the standpoint of the FDA regulatory aspect. <clears throat> are we on the right path? Where could we go from here? Where we are right now? Do we need a review? Maybe a redo of the website um, from the regulatory standpoint, labeling from a regulatory standpoint. So that's kind of where I jumped in um, and, uh, and then kind of have, have been along uh, since then. And this is John Spear with Greenlight. As you know, Devin mentioned, um, there was a, a project, a ventilator project that he was working on. Um, you know, right after the whole uh, COVID pandemic really started to to rear its ugly head, and you know, he, he and I chatted about um, some opportunities to work together on that project, and became pretty involved um, with that team and their efforts, and. You know, things happen. One thing led to another. Um, but along the way, Devin mentioned the Mask On initiative and shared some of the details from that perspective. And and it was the mission, the the product design, you know, everything that Mask On is was is doing was doing at that time and, and is continuing to do uh, was inspiring. I mean, the reason I'm in the medical device industry is I believe wholeheartedly that we have an opportunity to improve the quality of life. And this is, I don't know if that's the official mission of Masks On, but clearly that's what they have set out to do. And so, you know, from a quality system perspective, uh, Devin pulled me in and, you know, if and when it was needed to scale up and grow um, the formal systems within Mask On, uh, I've been in the wing. Uh, prepared to to help and assist in whatever capacity possible. So now you've heard how the nonprofit MasksOn.org got started. The design of the face shield is pretty fascinating too, as is how the team gathered feedback from clinicians. So it's hard to explain this without me waving my hands. So you have to imagine me waving my hands <laughs> on the end of the phone. Uh, the the face shield is really you know the the design is is an extension of an existing full face snorkel. So for those of us who grew up with uh, the snorkel kits that our parents got at the local store, you remember sort of a J shaped tube that went in your mouth, and then an eyepiece that went over uh, went over your eyes. The full face snorkel is is slightly different. In, it consists of a piece that covers you basically from the top of your forehead to underneath your chin, and that entire section is clear. And to help you breathe, it actually has a snorkel that sort of sticks out the back. You look kind of like a, a giant underwater unicorn um, with, with, with your, your horn facing the wrong way. And it turns out that, uh, you know, when people snorkel, they don't want to breathe in water. And so these things are designed to be absolutely air and water tight, which is fantastic. The snorkel that fits on the back is uh, removable. It actually has a pressure fit o-ring that holds it in place and keeps it sealed but can be removed i think primarily for ease of manufacturing and ease of transport and so 
what we did is we removed the snorkel. We made an adapter that fit onto the same port as the snorkel and took advantage of the same uh, geometry, the same O-ring, the same fitting capabilities that uh, took that took that port and basically narrowed it down to something that we could fit uh, an anesthesiology or a ventilator circuit filter on. These circuit filters look like um, they look like a tube with with basically a knot in the middle, and where the knot goes is where filtration material typically typically exists. And so now, rather than breathing in and out through uh, you know a six inch snorkel, it's on your, uh, coming out of your forehead. You're breathing in and out of uh, a filtered mechanism through these through these circuit filters. The other modification I should I should mention is that these masks had what's called a purge valve on their chin. And the way this purge valve worked is that if you took on water, um, what you could do is basically blow hard against it, and it would it would force a small valve open and, and let that water uh, get blown out. You do this on land typically uh, rather than underwater. We were worried that that valve wasn't designed to uh, keep out air sufficiently well, and so we went through a manufacturing step of blocking that valve. At this point, the only way air gets in or out of the mask, and so uh, in or out of the clinician is through that filter port uh, that exists that we put through a ventilator filter. Ventilator filter. Okay. Thank you. Um, it it definitely sounds something unique for the industry. Um, can can you tell me a little bit about clinician involvement, either reviewing the design um, or how they've received the design? So this was one of the really interesting things uh, about the development process. Boston's a small city, and it has a lot of hospitals and a lot of engineers, um, and a lot of people with nothing to do when a pandemic hits. And so what ended up happening is we would we would build versions of this adapter. We'd build versions of, which, which is the primary piece that we added to the system. Um, and then we would drive it out to clinicians that were local that could test it out. And they would just act as if they were in the OR doing you know, an intubation. They would try on the mask. They would breathe through it. In many cases, they would they would be uh, exhausted because they were at the end of their shift, and they would actually get on a Peloton or go for a run with the mask to evaluate how much it occluded their own breathing. Uh, so they actually gave us feedback two or three times. You know, over the course, basically every other day, we had a slightly modified design going out to them where they could evaluate it. And that evaluation was you know often over email. They'd call one of the engineers directly and ask, you know, provide some feedback directly in place. It was it was a remarkably efficient uh, iteration process as we uh, used sort of 3D printed versions of these adapters to tweak the design to their satisfaction. I think Sanjay, you you could also talk a little bit about how you know we had and it wasn't just emails i mean we also we had we were using slack and we had a slack instance up and running for everyone involved in the project and you could log on and you could see direct feedback coming in from some of these clinicians that are out there using it and giving us feedback and giving us suggestions so it wasn't just kind of like a one-way street where someone could send in some an emailed feedback it was really an engaged and meaningful dialogue between end users and the developers that were there, um, and trying to you know make this a better product for for the uh, for the clinicians, um, I, I think that the way that you managed uh, you meaning the masks on team, um, you know managed get, gathering all that feedback and documenting it and capturing it and using Slack to facilitate conversations, 
was one of the things that really allowed that super fast product development, um, those cyclings, right? It's, it's almost like you were doing like software sprints in a matter of hours instead of in a matter, instead of like a week or two. Um, I, no, I, I think you're right, Devin. And I think this is where sort of the, the in, it was an interesting confluence of skills where some of those software methodologies, so, so you're right, first off, let me, let me just point out that Devin is absolutely right that, that Slack was a uh, collaboration channel that we used really uh, incredibly effectively, far more effectively than I've actually used it in in most of my day jobs. Yeah, I agree. And the reason that, that that I didn't bring it up is because my day job is building software, and so that is the sort of environment that I typically live in. And it was, I think, novel to the to the uh, process of bringing a medical device to light. Um, but it was not novel for a bunch of the folks involved who were various, various flavors of software and mechanical engineers. And so there's this interesting confluence of uh, experience at building medical devices crossed with the rapid iteration, rapid feedback cycle that uh, both software engineering has and the 3D printing world, right? So we were, we were frustrated, quite frankly, when a new design came out and we were we were ready to test with it, and it was going to take four hours to print. Like that was that was a source of deep frustration for the team because they wanted it out faster. And folks that had been working with real physical devices for a while uh, were you know thought that we were all kind of wacky because they were used to waiting weeks for the next iteration to come out. And, and I think you know this, John. I think that's one of the the exciting things about the the Mascon initiative and the team that was involved in this is. Um, them not knowing the, op the the perceived obstacles and barriers that a traditional medical device company encounters and and experiences um, was actually to their benefit because they didn't let these things get in their way and and then they they knew when to bring in people like Devin and Ken and myself uh, to help make sure that you know everything was on the straight and narrow on the right path and anytime any of us raised the flag and said hey have you thought about this or what about this thing or probably need to do this test. The Mascon team was so receptive and 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 really hungry to learn, you know, because they wanted to do the right thing. Great. Um, well, thank you uh, very much for sharing all that about the design. Um, how did how did you move from the design testing to manufacturing? Like how did you get to the actual product that you started shipping? So I think, uh, I'm trying to remember who, who hooked this up. There, there was, there's a local manufacturing firm. And generally when people say there's a local manufacturing firm, they're talking about sort of something a little bit rinky-dink. Um, this is not the case here. Uh, there's a group that's just north of the city called Lightspeed Manufacturing. Their, their day job, if you will, is rebuilding computers that the FAA allows to fly an aircraft. So they are a very, very skilled group of workers there with, with a bunch of really high-end equipment. We ended up talking to them because we, we needed a place to assemble and we needed more quality control, which even we could recognize prior to, to, to having you know, FDA levels of QC on it. Um, we needed more quality control than what we started with, which was you know, everybody who could attempting to help, right? And slapping on gloves and slapping on a mask and showing up in a warehouse and attempting to move these out. Um, Lightspeed came to us, they, they barely negotiated for how much we needed to pay them, and they said, we will build these as fast as we can. And that they immediately started 
you know, asking questions that we didn't have great answers to, which is, you know, how many do you need to build? And where, you know, what are all the supplies? And what are they all coming in? And where do the barcodes go so that we can make sure that we're tracking these correctly? Sort of all of the things you'd expect a, a professional manufacturing shop to worry about, they started worrying about. And we, we had another bit of good luck, which, good luck, which was one of the folks at Lightspeed, um, I've forgotten Stephen's last name. Uh, I'll bring up, I'll, I'll write it to you if, if it doesn't come back to me. Uh, used to be the supply manager at uh, Dartmouth Hitchcock Hospital. And so he actually understood what hospitals have on hand, what they need to move quickly with and what they'll respond to. He put himself right in the middle of the manufacturing line and ended up being a quality quality check uh, for every mask that went out because it was important to him to get that right. Lightspeed ended up being a place where we could we could literally have masks shipped, you know, so unmodified full face scuba masks. We we shipped them to their address, we shipped them adapters, we shipped them, you know, the grommets we needed and so on. Um, and then we we basically sent them work orders that said these are the two thousand masks that need to go out this week with the addresses. They would assemble them, box them, label them, and then I think at our peak we had four or five uh, FedEx vans showing up at their shipping dock every day, loading up and moving them out. Uh, Devin, I, I I think I'm ascribing this to you correctly, where you said choosing the correct, you know, the, the right manufacturing partner is as important to the success of a medical device as almost anything else you do. Yeah, yeah, I, I often say that it's one of the most important decisions that a, an emerging uh, company can make and break the company in the long run. Uh, picking that manufacturing partner, and you guys definitely picked a, gr a great one. The goal of MasksOn.org was to donate face shields, and their work has been funded by donations. Devin and Sanjay explain. And so this is funded through donations. Is is that correct? That's correct. We've gotten money from individuals. Uh, we've gotten money from foundations. Uh, but and and a bunch through a a GoFundMe campaign that we had running. Okay. Um, and tell me a little bit about that process. I, I'm wondering if um, you know maybe Devin, given your experience in in the medical world, um, have you seen you know a donations driven program like this before? And and is there anything unique about this? I mean, I I can answer the question easily. I've, I've not seen that in in any of. My work, um, you know, working for companies or uh, in, in for for my my business now, um, I've not seen anyone generate the kinds of funds um, that Masks On was able to generate uh, during the start of the pandemic. Um, I mean, it's not an inexpensive effort to to do this kind of work, uh, and the 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 national community, which is primarily where most of our um, initial fundraising came from, um, I mean, it really just it stepped up and and a lot of money flowed in. And we're all volunteer uh, for the most part, other than folks, you know, that are manufacturing things for us. Um, so basically every dollar goes into masks uh, and shields on people's faces. Um, Sanjay, I mean, you can speak a little bit to the different, uh, like what that, what those fundraising campaigns were like, because you were closer to them than I was. Yeah, I think this this falls back into the bucket of uh, Boston's a small town, and we've all been around the block a couple times here, and we have some connections. 
and some of them have done very well. And I think a lot of folks who, you know, again, in the early days of the pandemic, and even now, are sort of trying to figure out what to do to help. And this felt like a very, you know, straightforward, concrete, uh, short-term benefit that they could provide. And I think that to the extent that there was this sort of startup-y feel to the project, um, it attracted a particular class of, of philanthropic donors, where, you know, if you think about, um, I'm trying to think of how to say this so I don't offend anybody, right? If you think about old, old money, right, it will give, give to a wing at MGH. Um, if you think about somebody who is really excited about the impact of their work, who's made money, you know, in the dot-com era or more recently, they may want to do something with uh, that's higher risk, higher return, higher impact, and we sort of fit into that space nicely. One of the nice things we had was John Herstick, who, who, who introduced Devin to the project and, and continues to be on our board, went out and talked to folks that he had worked with over the last 20, 10, 20, 20, 30 years he's been in the area working on, on high-tech stuff and was able to basically demonstrate that this was a relatively low-risk project from the standpoint of the complexity that was necessary to make it successful, right? So if I, I, I let, let me take a moment to trivialize the work we've done, right? What we really did is we, we blocked a valve and we put a very fancy shaped straw on an existing piece of protective equipment. It was designed to protect you from, you know, being underwater, but it was, it was a sealing mechanism. If you, if you look at how, so, you know, a, a particular class of people think about investments, they want to invest in something that's really straightforward, that they understand, that it doesn't have to be too complicated, and that they can get some sense of whether or not it's going to be successful, and that there's a need out there. The need, the need side of the equation was being really well handled by the press at the time. It was very clear that PPE was going to be an issue. The simplicity of our design was one that people could sort of intuitively understand what was going on and how it would work. And putting that together really uh, got people to open up their purse strings. You know, I'll, I'll echo what, what Devin said here. You know, raising that much money in a relatively short amount of time was, uh, was amazing, to be clear. I mean, it was, it was humbling and it was, it was sort of amazing to be part of. I've been in and around nonprofits for a while, and that's the operating budget for some places for, you know, a decade. Uh, and, and we turned around and did it very, very quickly. Part of that, I think, was that we, we did not intend this organization to last. We did not need it to be long-lived. We did not need people to be able to support themselves on it. And so we could legitimately and honestly and, and, and you know, look people in the eye and say, we're not going to take any salary because this isn't going to be around long enough to that, for that to be necessary. And that uh, was perceived as, as a real sort of a shot in the arm, if you will, for the legitimacy of the organization. So when we say, you know, every dollar has gone into building masks, it's, it's very much true. In fact, I'm, I'm disappointed, you know, in the early days, we, you know, we wasted some supplies and it still kind of grinds at me that we, we didn't have that extra $10,000 to go and make into, you know, 2,000 or 200 more masks. Um, but I think that that's, that belief in what we were doing uh, is what came through to the donors, and they responded to it uh, in a, in an amazing way. That's great. Um, you mentioned that this, you know, effort is not 
supposed to be long lived. Is is there still a need for PPE, and and do you have any predictions on how long this effort might be? So we anticipate. Look, this one of the interesting things, and I think uh, I think Ken, you were part of this discussion and, and suggested it, is that the device we've ended up building is a little different than what's out there available to clinicians today, and in many ways is superior. It, it sort of, for, and we've heard this back from clinicians as well, where they can get it on incredibly quickly, they can determine that they are safe very, very efficiently and on every donning, and the degradation over time is really minimal, which both in use and out of use, right? So that you could stockpile these and, and, and be in good shape. So I think there's a bunch of advantages to it. One of the uh, manufacturers we've been dealing with that actually makes these is interested in making them for clinicians. And so Devin's been leading this effort, and Devin, I'll, I'll do a lead-in and let you take it from there, where <laughs> we're, try, we're trying to get to a point where they can manufacture it um, not as a nonprofit, where we have a certain amount of shielding from liability issues by virtue of not having any money, but in fact as a full company that's, that's approved by NIH. So Devin, I'll let you lead before from there. Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll generalize it a bit. We're not done, right? There's, there's, there's absolutely still a demand out there. We continue to get requests from physicians and from the community. Um, we continue to get very strong positive feedback from our users um, out in the field. Um, we, you know, no, no bad feedback, no adverse events, um, you know, nothing that would, that would cause us pause there. But at the same time, the PPE conversation has waned, if I can be honest, in the public, uh, in the public opinion, right? There's, there's just not a lot of talk about it anymore, even though there are still areas of the country that are overwhelmed and are in need of a durable PPE product like what um, like what we've been giving away. Um, so the need is still there. I, how long will it happen? I, I, I have no idea. But we as an organization, we uh, we thrive on these those um, non those donations to our nonprofit and. We've done great with uh, individuals, with the GoFundMe page. Um, John Spear is a host of a podcast, the Global Medical Device Podcast, and he had Sanjay and I on at once, and we had a nice bump after that from um, the medical device community kind of learning about what we were doing, and, and we got uh, income from there uh, to be able to put into masks. But those numbers have been coming down, and, and what we've been really focused on doing is asking ourselves, how can we continue our mission of protecting clinicians, even in an environment where we're not necessarily getting the funding that we were getting toward the beginning of the pandemic uh, to be able to um, keep meeting that need? And one of the ideas that we had been exploring is, is there a manufacturer out there that uh, has the bandwidth, has the capacity, is already involved in this in this value chain somewhere um, that could maybe uh, take it over. Like we could kind of transfer, not that we necessarily have IP, but 
kind of transfer what we're doing and and bring it to them and and uh, continue forward with an engaged partner. And so that's that's kind of what we've been exploring, frankly, at different ends of of the entire value stream. Um, but we feel uh, very um, encouraged, I think would be the right word, Sanjay, that uh, we we seem to be on a nice trajectory um, to find a way that uh, we could transfer this into a into a manufacturing entity who then who then can continue to sell the masks um, as, as a for-profit entity. Uh, and definitely, you know, these would be cases where they're not medical device manufacturers, so they're going to need help from folks like um, Ken Block and, and Greenlight and John and me to be able to kind of help them bring things up to speed. But there's definitely a valid trajectory um, out there if we can pull that. Um, that would be a big pivot if we could pull that pivot off. And then we don't know what would happen with masks on. Um, Sanjay and I are both on the board. We've talked with the board before about different options and what, what we could do um, in, in that environment. And what I can say is that we are universally all committed to continuing to do what's right uh, to help our clinicians and our communities um, be, continue to be protected in the way that we've been doing it. Um, and, and that could that could take a, a number of different a number of different ways. John adds how the team has prepared for potential next steps in quality and regulatory efforts. As I mentioned in a few moments ago, um, you know, Devin pulled me in. Gosh, I guess it's been longer than I realize now, but a few months ago, and mm, yeah. the, the <laughs> time flies, I guess. But um, the the initial conversation that that Devin and I had was really more about. Um, you know about where Mascon was at at that point in time, and and I guess the potential directions that the company could go. Um, you know, first and foremost, it was it was about pursuing EUA opportunities, um, and you know that's when you know Devin pulled in and the team pulled in Ken Block. Um, but from there, it was really about uh, what happens next. I mean. You know, we've we've explored a couple of different uh, avenues and opportunities. I mean, Sanjay mentioned uh, a, a bit ago about you know, some of the the nuances and challenges between FDA medical device regulations and then NIOSH regulations, and and you know how these are not necessarily converging or or the same per se. There's different processes, different methodologies. But at this point in time, it really kind of depends on on where the company decides to go. Um, right now, it's it's an EUA product. Um, in the event that there, the demand for this um, continues to grow and, and the need for the global need for this to, to help from a pandemic standpoint justifies it such that that this a, a more formal quality management system and perhaps even you know some sort of 510k or other regulatory type of submission is required. Then we're ready to to you know ramp things up from a quality management system perspective. You know, make sure that we formalize all of the practices around design control and risk. And not not to say that those things aren't being done today, um, but it's just really being ready uh, to go. And you know, if if Devin and Sanjay say, hey, we're we're pursuing this avenue, and and it requires formalizing a, an FDA 201345 quality management system. 
this is what I've been doing for, for the large part of my 22 years in the medical device industry. So, you know, we can have something ready to go in 30 to 60 days to make sure everything's in great shape. I, I think John is is underselling a bit of his inf, uh, of his um, value in this equation. Uh, I mean, at least for me, uh, as the medical device person, kind of on on the board and and with masks on, to be able to retract into speaking our special medical device language, um, and and to and to pull back away from the non-medical device group, but really kind of go back toward my center. Um, John was a great sounding board for me to talk to and say like, okay, this is what I see. This is what's happening within the team. Here's where, you know, here's my gap assessment. Here's where I think that we're gonna need to beef this up. This is what's going on in manufacturing. How would we, what would the strategy be? How would we get prepared to do this? Um, and so we just kind of bounce those ideas back and forth with each other because collectively we're always better um, than us than we are as individuals. Um, and to be able to have that conversation, um, John was really valuable in kind of helping me digest uh, and appropriately guide and counsel masks on as to, okay, here's the next steps we want to take. Uh, if we want to go this direction in the future, these are some steps that we're going to want to take. So let's start preparing now, uh, getting ready for those future steps so that if we do need to take um, and to go in that direction, uh, we don't have to go backwards to do it. We're, we're ready and we're primed and, and, and we're prepared to do uh, a number of different um take a number of different paths. No, I, I appreciate you sharing that, Devin. I mean, uh, definitely my um, philosophy and approach with respect to, you know, establishing a medical device company and, and specifically with respect to our quality management system is always about um, bootstrapping. It's about right-sizing. It's about establishing your processes and procedures um, at, at the right time. Uh, I think this is a mistake that a lot of startup companies, frankly, make is that they, they go all in and, and start to establish quality management system procedures uh, for, for everything, even post-market and, and you, know, uh, you know, being a regulated device and so on and so forth, but yet they're still at the, the early stages. You know, my philosophy has always been about focus on where you are, where you need to be, build the systems, the sophistication in those systems, as required based on your stage of company. Key thing is, as Devin mentioned, we we would bounce, you know, have conversations, bounce thoughts and ideas off of one another. And at every step along the way, it's like, all right, this needs to be documented. We need to, we need a record publish a work instruction for this and so on and so forth. So the intent of of all of the regulations um, from a mask on perspective has been met at every step along the way. Let, let me add the uh, the non-device manufacturer perspective here, which is when we go and talk to folks about what we want to do next, that we want to get through FDA regulation, that we want to get NIOSH approval, that we want you know X, Y, and Z, um, they look at my background and wonder why the heck I'm even talking. And I feel like I have a closet full of experts that have not only you know understand the lingo that people are trying to throw at me, but have done this before. And simply having that at your back and knowing it's there opens doors in ways that I would not have expected. So uh, it's it really is profound to have this sort of capability in place. The team has learned several lessons. Ken explains, followed by John, Devin, and finally Sanjay. 
Uh, I mean, it, in, in a way, it's it, it, we, we've sort of covered it before, um, but this is me coming now. Um, you know, I had to beat my way into the medical device field, and this was an opportunity for people not to have to do that. That they could just jump in with ideas and excitement and uh, hard work and get something done and get it out there with the blessing of the regulators. And to me, that's amazing because being in the regulated space and seeing how restrictive it can be for, you know, who's going to enter my regulated company? Oh, gee, I only want this, this certain group of people. And earlier it was mentioned about, hey, people that weren't in that regulated space were able to get involved. That was really a benefit. Um, so I, I think it was just amazing how it how it went, and and that was a real benefit to be able to open up medical devices to people who hadn't had that experience. And I think Masks On really benefited from that. Yeah, and, and Sanjay, I'll give you a little bit more time to think about maybe a couple points, and I'll piggyback on what Ken is sharing. Um, to me, it's been uh, refreshing, quite frankly, um, so much so that <clears throat> when time affords itself, whenever that might be, I think there's a lot of lessons uh, that the Mask On team has experienced and, and, and a lot of approaches that they've brought to designing and developing a medical device that frankly should be more the norm in our industry than, than sadly it is today. I think a lot of times in the industry, in the medical device industry in 2020, uh, people use uh, uh, regulations almost as a crutch or a hindrance and, and use that as a means to sort of accept complacency and, and just you know, accept it as a norm, as conventional wisdom, that a medical device has got to take years and years of time uh, to get to market. And, and I think the mask on team has shown that that's just not reality, or it doesn't have to be anyway. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. This is Devin. Uh, you know, one of the things that really strikes me that is something I'll seek out to continue to uh, be an advocate for with, with my clients and, and with my practice and that is the inclusion of a wide variety of disparate voices coupled with the complete lack of ego. So I think one of the things that made this, this project so special is that it was all of these volunteers from everywhere. You look at our Slack channel, there's just tons of people and we had a tendency of we would put our name and then we would put what company we're from in parentheses afterwards. And the companies are all over the map for what you'd see. And everyone could speak up and everyone had um, some cool ideas and would share what they're doing here. And we, we, people in the, in the exercise fitness industry with the, you know, the snorkeling um, suppliers, uh, variety of them bring, coming in, filter manufacturers contributing to the conversation, talking about things and about how they're designed to work and what to do, and we've got material scientists and, and folks from testing labs, and everyone engaged. And the fact that it wasn't just a medical device world, it was just this, a much broader world, that added richness and value and speed to the project. And we were able to take egos and titles and, and all of that out of the way and so they didn't become roadblocks or barriers and we could move so fast um finding a way for us well 
finding a way in really any industry to do that, but also for us in the medical device industry to do a better job listening to how others have solved similar problems in other industries and kind of getting out of our own way so that we can do um, a better job serving um, patients, which is you know what we're here for. Um, I think that was a, a big lessons learned for me. Okay, well, I thank you all for giving me the time to get my thoughts together. Let me see, <laughs> Let me see if I can pull this off. Uh, so the first thing I learned, I, I've run a couple of different companies and they have had varying degrees of success. Clearly not enough success because I still have to work for someone, right? So one of the things that, that was amazing here is we we had a very simple goal. And when, when Devin talks about people leaving their egos at the door, they left it at the door because the goal was so straightforward that everybody could get behind it, right? And, and the goal was just ship more masks to more clinicians. That was it. And we would evaluate every big question in the context of that. Is this going to get more masks on people? Yes? Great. Let's do it. Boom. That was it. Anything that didn't fit that, we ruthlessly pushed aside. Now, the thing is that it's rare that you have a situation where the goal is that straightforward and, and uncomplicated. What was it? What my great learning here was that when you have that, take advantage of it to the nth degree. And so we wanted to be, you know, we had a very specific, like we, we have a gap while N95 supply lines are getting reestablished. Let's fill that to the extent that we can. And we weren't slowed down by attempting to build a profitable business. We weren't slowed down by creating a, even a durable entity. We were all comfortable with the idea that if this disappeared tomorrow because you know, the cavalry showed up armed with, with N95s, we would happily shut down and give away the masks to whoever needed them. Um, we had a long discussion with our, actually it was a short discussion in a board meeting that said, hey, if somebody else has a better design, are we comfortable just giving them our masks? And the answer was absolutely, and we'll pay for the shipping, right? And then the other thing we discovered is that when you have that clarity, opportunities opened up because people weren't chasing money or fame or stock options or any of those things. They're, you know, talking to, I mean, look, between Devin and John and Ken, you have three top folks in the industry who are donating their time and effort to this. Um, and, and the moment this be, if this were to become a profitable enterprise or attempt to become a profitable enterprise, they would legitimately wonder, you know, how to get paid for it. Removing that from the table is a degree of freedom that that most organizations simply don't have, but we did, and we took advantage of it. And so that was, I, I think, having a simple goal and then being so deeply mission-driven that you could push aside other considerations um, was a unique situation for us to end up in. I'm not sure how to extrapolate that to other situations yet. Uh, I need to think about that more, but it worked really, really well for us. What a truly inspiring group of professionals. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion. Before I sign off today, I'd like to share that Sanjay, Devin, and John will be speaking November 4th during the upcoming Biomed Digital event in the session, Heroes of Manufacturing. Boston nonprofit aids in fight against COVID-19 with unique reusable face shield. They will be joined by Alex Stone, MD, one of the anesthesiologists who envisioned adapting the snorkel mask into a solution. Also during Biomed Digital, you can hear from over 50 Biomed experts discussing 3D printing, digital health, robotics and medtech, and much more. And you can visit suppliers on the virtual show floor. Visit biomeddevicesanjose.com 
to learn more and to register. That's all for today. I'm Daphne Allen, and thanks for listening to Let's Talk MedTech.